We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 26 today, looking at the Apostle Paul's defense before King Agrippa in Rome. Uh, Paul's on trial for his life because he basically believes in Easter. He believes that Jesus Christ has really risen from the dead. And because of this belief, he is once again on trial for his life. And he's explaining himself about how he became a Christian in the first place and um, also trying to persuade King Agrippa to share this same faith with him. Uh, so it seems strange to me that someone would be on trial for believing in Easter and having an Easter hope, but that's the situation Paul is in. Um, we usually think that it's just a religious opinion, and religious opinions are fine for people. If it helps you, great. Congratulations. Good for you. But it doesn't bother me if you believe something different than I do religiously. Um, uh, the historian Theodore Rozak said that the Christian faith is privately engaging but socially irrelevant. And I think that's what most people in our neighborhoods think too. But the resurrection is actually quite subversive and it takes everything that is right side up now and turns it upside down so that anybody that's in power religiously or politically or even in power in their own lives uh, finds Jesus' resurrection to be a great intrusion and they find it to be the thing that turns their own lives upside down. Jesus comes to bring regime change wherever he comes. So we're going to look at Paul's defense today, uh, the reasons that he has for believing in the resurrection, and the difference he thinks it makes in our lives. So let me pray for us, and then we'll hear God's word. Father, we ask that on this day where we celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would fill us with joy in believing, but also that you'd let us feel the weight of what it means uh, to believe that you're really going to set the world back right and do for the whole world what you did for Jesus. So open our hearts and minds to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The New Testament reading comes from Acts chapter 26, verses 19 through 29. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having attained, obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether 
such as I am, except for these shapes. So in this last account we have of Paul explaining the Christian faith to people, he says what he often says about the resurrection of Jesus. He says that Jesus was uh, the first to rise. And that's kind of a strange thing to say because um, we've seen people in his ministry already who were dead, who he brought back to life. You remember uh, Tabitha, or you remember Jesus's friend Lazarus, who had been dead for several days and then was raised back to life by Jesus. But their resurrections were different because they died again. Jesus' resurrection in a new body is said to be uh, the paradigm for what's going to happen to all of us, that we will be raised to life and given bodies that don't decay so that we can live in a world that isn't hostile to us, that Jesus has finally repaired for us, that our breach with God has ended because of Jesus' death for us, and everything that's been broken as collateral damage because of our rebellion against God is going to be fixed. And Jesus's body, his resurrected body that's recognizable in which he was able to eat with his disciples is the first example of the fixed world. It's the first thing we've ever seen and the only thing we've seen yet of the way things are going to be. Now that's just a pretty straightforward Christian hope that God is going to fix the world and what he did for Jesus, he's going to do for the whole world. Um, and we're familiar with that message. A lot of us, if you live in America, you've heard heard it pretty often, I would assume. Uh, what's weird is why someone would find that threatening, why someone would find that subversive, why you would need to put someone on trial for their lives, or why you would find such adamant resistance to this notion of Jesus' resurrection in our lives. And uh, so why is it a subversive message? Main reason is that it undermines our power. Um, when Jesus comes into an individual person's uh, life and invades them and they put their faith in him and convert, well, he kicks us off the throne of our own lives. Uh, he causes us to submit to him as the King and the Lord and Nobody wants to do that. Even I think a lot of people who believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead uh, can't really abide the idea that because of this, my life is his and my will is submitted to his and my plans and my money and what I do in my life that I think is going to make me happy has to be submitted to him. Uh, that's hard to take. Political leaders understand that Jesus' resurrection is subversive because uh, it takes away the sway that they have over us through their threats. People who aren't afraid to die, people who know that their lives are short, but that their hope is that they will be raised like Jesus was raised, um, can't be so easily coerced. They can't be so easily controlled by political threats. Uh, religious leaders who can control people through uh, fear and through guilt and manipulation find their power undermined by Jesus because people who have been forgiven by Jesus Christ and promised that they will be raised by him uh, aren't so easily manipulated by guilt anymore. And then, you know, your own life, regime change from Jesus is not pleasant. Uh, none of us wants to give away the reins of control in our own lives. So um, when Paul says this message requires, he says in verse 20, for people to repent and turn to God. Uh, that's the thing that is threatening about it. That's the thing that is subversive to us, that we have to 
let Jesus come in uh, to change our lives however he sees that to be appropriate. Um, when Agrippa hears Paul say this, he asks him in verse 28, you know, do you think so soon you're going to convince me to be a Christian? And implied in his question seems to be, look, I see what you're saying, and there's a world of change involved in what you're suggesting I need to do, and I'm not so sure that I'm ready to sign up for that kind of change just yet myself. So, um, but now this message is only subversive if it's actually true. Um, you know, if this is just a privately held religious opinion, if, if, Paul, if Paul was just saying, uh, just describing his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road where he says, look, I got knocked off my horse because I saw this, this amazing light and it blinded me and other people heard the noise and they saw light, but they didn't hear it like I did. And I realized that Jesus was who he said he was. You'd say, wow, that's a pretty fantastic experience. I've never had any experience like that myself, but you know, good for you. That doesn't sound like something that is compelling for me uh, to have to change my whole life and system of beliefs about the world for. You know, I'm happy that you had that experience that, meant, that it meant a lot to you, but that's, uh, that doesn't really push me to change in any way that I'm not already willing to change. But Paul says, you know, when they accuse him of being insane in his defense, he says, no, I'm being reasonable and I'm giving you uh, persuasive and reasonable arguments to believe that this is true. Um, not just my subjective vision, but I'm telling you that what you've all believed about Moses and the prophets and what they expected and what they taught, that all these things are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ through his resurrection. And then he says something really interesting to Agrippa. He says, um, these things have not been done in a corner. So it says this in verse 26. These things haven't been done in a corner, which means that you can go ask people who are firsthand eyewitnesses of these things. They're still alive. Uh, you can go ask them. You know about this. A lot of people know about this. More than 500 people saw Jesus uh, after his resurrection. These things can be verified. And so he appeals not just to his own private religious experience, but he appeals to the truth of the way things are. Uh, the resurrection is believable uh, because there aren't any other good explanations for what happened with Jesus. And you have these uh, eyewitnesses who are completely credible and who paid with their lives for their witness that Jesus had been raised from the dead. This is why when, when the apostles um, go to talk about the Christian faith and to promote the Christian faith, they talk about themselves as witnesses primarily meaning that they're telling what they have seen, what they know to be true uh, from their own experience, what they've seen in their own lives, that they've seen the resurrected Christ. And so they give reasons to believe this. If you have uh, questions about the Christian faith, you're not supposed to just sit on those or let them float in your head. You're supposed to pursue those questions because the reason we believe the Christian faith is that we're persuaded it's true. Now, like Paul, I've had... Uh, personal experience with Jesus Christ in my life and uh, am bolstered in the certainty of my faith because of my experience in prayer and in worship and in connection to him in my life. But that's not why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I'm persuaded that it's true, 
that Jesus really has been raised from the dead and all that he promised is reliably true. And that's the reason you should believe too. Um, I want to tell you a story about uh, a way in which the resurrection of Jesus is seen to be subversive uh, in its power and its truth in places where people felt powerless in the midst of their circumstances, but found out as time went on uh, what Jesus was doing in the world. And it's a story that some of you may be very familiar with already. It's the story of Richard Wombrand and his wife, Sabrina. Uh, these were a Romanian Jewish couple, grew up Jewish, and then after their marriage, they uh, both converted to faith in Christianity, became convinced that Jesus is the promised Jewish Messiah, put their faith in him. And then Richard Wormbrand became a minister after that. Uh, but it wasn't very long after that. This was in the early part of the last century. But in 44, um, the Soviets occupied Romania uh, toward the end of World War II. And of course, as the Nazis had um, killed Sabrina's parents, now the Soviet communists were um, coming as a threat to them as well. The church had to go underground. And... Uh, Wormbrand became the pastor of an underground church movement, uh, similar to what you might see in China today, underground churches. Um, but in 48, four years later, he was arrested and he was imprisoned for eight and a half years. It was a terrible imprisonment, a terrible experience for him. Um, he testified later actually before the U.S. Senate and described some of how bad his imprisonment had been. He said at one point for three years, he was held in solitary confinement below ground, uh, not seeing any light. And for three years, the only people that he ever saw were his uh, jailers and his tormentors. And so he was uh, tortured, he was lied to, he was urged to recant his faith. Um, Sabrina also was put in jail during this time. Uh, they charged her with, uh, I love this, with subversive evangelism. Subversive evangelism, a uh, charge I hope we're all guilty of. All right, so they charged her with subversive evangelism. They put her in jail at hard labor and um, told her that her husband was dead. Said they had seen his burial. Some of us said this to her, which wasn't true, but um, was torture for her. After eight and a half years, uh, Wormbrand was released, and he was commanded not to preach anymore. So uh, when he left prison, he began to preach, as you might understand, because his faith in the resurrection made him unafraid of the coercion of tyrants. Um, so he got rearrested, and this time he was sentenced to a 25-year term. Um, for some reason, after about five years of that term, there was a general amnesty with prisoners and he was released. Um, and then he was exiled. Uh, some Christians from another country were able to purchase his way out of Romania. But he was threatened before he left Romania that, um, look, you know, you've been in prison with people that we have arrested from the West. He says, so you know we can get to you. So you had better not tell what's happened to you and you'd better not go on promulgating uh, the Christian faith anymore. Of course, he was not afraid of them, and he went on preaching, but when he got out of prison, what he found out was the church that they had told him didn't exist anymore. The Christian faith had been wiped out. The Christian faith had grown in Romania 
300% during the time of his imprisonment. And all that they told him about his demise and about uh, his wife's death was a lie. And he saw that Jesus was still at work and that the power of Jesus' resurrection and the Christian faith couldn't be stopped. So, um, you know, he lived to see the revolution in 1989, uh, which kind of started outside of a reform pastor's home, a man named uh, Laszlo Tokas, and they were going to arrest him, and all of his parishioners gathered around his house and wouldn't allow the authorities in, and that mob and crowd grew and grew and grew, and ultimately uh, was the beginnings of the undermining of the Ceausescu regime in Romania. Uh, it had a bit of a Tiananmen Square uh, feel to it. And uh, Wormbrand actually lived to see that revolution and to see the eventual um, deposing and execution of the Ceausescus. So, um, but this courageous man who went on to become the voice of the persecuted church around the world, he formed an organization called the Voice of the Martyrs, which many of you I'm sure have heard of, that chronicles the persecution of the church in different countries around the world today. But his courageous voice was raised with them because he believed the resurrection was true and he knew of its subversive power. And uh, therefore he was able to resist tremendous pressure on him. So, you know, the quote that we saw at the beginning of the film this morning from C.S. Lewis from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where he talks about um, death beginning to work backwards when the curse is broken, is exactly the Easter hope that we have. That death itself, uh, and all the expressions that it has in our lives now and in the future, uh, is beginning to work backwards in those who have the hope of Jesus' resurrection. So I don't know whether this finds you this morning. You may be somebody who doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ right now. You may not be a convinced Christian right now. But if you're not, I would just urge you to take seriously what's being claimed here. Um, that Jesus is your creator and savior, that he's come to your rescue, and that the way things are now are not, is not the way things are supposed to be, and it's not the way things always will be. The resurrection is the beginning of that. Um, if you have questions about that, I'd urge you to run them to ground. These are incredibly important questions. Uh, so don't just let them hang in your mind uh, if you have questions about the credibility of the faith or if, what it would mean for you in your life. Please ask those questions. Run them to ground. There are people who would uh, love to talk to you about it, including me uh, and others you might know from our church. Um, but please ask the questions. If the big issue, you may believe that Jesus was being honest when he told us what he's told us, that the resurrection is really true, that he really is our hope of being reconciled to God. And if your problem is just that you can't stand the thought of being knocked off the throne of your own life, um, well, I just ask you on a day like Easter when you're a little more willing to think about such things, um, how well has your regime been going running your own life? Um, Jesus isn't interested in coming into your life to... Uh, steal away your joy, to diminish your life. Um, he's coming because you've made a hash of your life. All the things you've looked for, for meaning and fulfillment, uh, have let you down. And that he's your real uh, rock and anchor and what you really need. And so I'd urge you to 
take the leap a little bit and say, look, you, I've made a hash of running my own life. You run my life. I'm willing to submit to you. Uh, let Easter and the hope that we all feel in the resurrection be your impetus for that. If you're already a Christian, you know, the command for you is the same as it was what Paul said to the other people in verse 20, which is you need to repent and turn to God. And uh, the resurrection is inducement for us to do that. Um, like people who aren't yet Christians, we feel easily often that what God wants to do in my life will diminish me, that he really isn't out for good in my life. But let the hope of the resurrection and your confidence in the truth of the resurrection cause you to believe that what Jesus is out for in your life is your good. He didn't come to your rescue. He didn't lay down his life for you in order to diminish you. He came to give you life and to the fullest. And so as you hear that and believe it, let yourself turn with a new openness to God, a new willingness to let him have his way in your life. Uh, because it may be a violent process, but what he's doing is turning your life right side up. And eventually, uh, when he returns, uh, he'll give us a body like his resurrection body, and we'll live with him in a world that he's fixed. Now let's pray. Father, we pray that you would uh, fill us with hope and believing, uh, that you would uh, give us confidence in your rescue of us in Jesus Christ. And I pray for myself and for my friends here that in the places where it's hard for us to step away from the throne of our own lives and to submit to you, that you would give us grace and courage for that. Give us faith that we can't muster up on our own, uh, that we might submit to you and trust you and find you to be everything we've ever wanted. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.